a Podcast One production. G'day, it's Adam Spencer here and welcome to The Big Questions on Podcast One. There's one thing I love doing, it's surrounding myself with smart, interesting people and asking them stuff. Learning from people who really know their craft. And that's what The Big Questions is all about. I'll be speaking to scientists, writers, thinkers and just generally interesting people who'll answer The Big Questions. And some really fascinating small questions too. I thought why not start with the biggest and most Aussie of questions. Why does this nation so love sport? Why do we love sport? I'm joined by two absolute experts on the topic, Tracy Holmes and Mick Malloy. I'll get you both to introduce yourselves. Tracy, what's your professional title and the standing you bring to this discussion of our love of sport? Depends where I am on what day. I'm a journalist. Um, I've, I've focused mostly on sport through my career, so that's about the last 30 years. Grew up as a daughter of professional surfers, so was always surrounded by sport and have just had a lifelong intrigue with the characters that make up the sporting globe. And when you're trying to impress people, you can use the phrase senior lecturer at the <laughs> University of Technology <laughs> Sydney in journalism, yes? Yes, or uh, senior reporter anchor at the ABC. There you go. Mick Malloy, what's your professional title? Well, I wish I'd gone first now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? Enthusiastic amateur. And that's all I am. I am a committed fan of sport and most sporting contests, and that's all I'm bringing to the table, I'm afraid. Well, one thing we should do in that regard is declare our particular allegiances, any organisations to which we have a passion that might bias our discussions. I'll lead off. I'm, I'm a massive fan uh, in the AFL of the Sydney Swans, in the uh, football, A-League and W-League. I'd have to be a massive fan of Sydney FC. On the international scene, gigantic fan of the Matildas, women's football, New South Wales Swifts, in the netball uh, in particular as well, and Sydney Uni Flames in the women's basketball would cover off a fair bit of me. Yourself, Mick? Well, obviously the Richmond Football Club mm. is my lifelong passion and that dominates most of my thinking. The Australian cricket team, of course, mm, yep. I have followed since I can remember. And I have a soft spot for teams who can dominate their country's psyche. So I like to watch the All Blacks play Rugby Union. I also like to watch the Canadian ice hockey team play ice hockey because I, when you see those teams which galvanise an entire nation and you see what it means to that nation, I think they have uh, incredible import. So I love watching them uh, grind away under the weight of a, <laughs> of a nation and ply their trade. Now yourself, Tracy Holmes, I, I find this interesting. Your sporting allegiances, the teams that you would die for. Well, there aren't any. I, I don't actually support anyone or anything. I, wow. I just love watching sport. I wouldn't even call myself a fan. I'm just intrigued about the whole thing comes together. However, there is one exception, mm -hmm. and that is when there's the annual Rugby League State of Origin series. 
I support Queensland. Is it is it a journalistic independence you're taking? There's part of you that wants to support teams, but it would be wrong to do no, so? No, or? not at all, not at all, because I, I just find there are highs and lows, there are maniacs, there are educated people, there are ignoramuses, there are heroes, there are villains in every team, in every nation. And um, I think just by virtue of being extremely fortunate through my childhood and then again in my adult life to have travelled and lived in so many different places that I find it very difficult to say I'm a supporter of Australia when I've been at so many other events and seen countries competing, athletes competing that both have, you know, different flags and, and I find that equally as absorbing. So, so Mick, could you imagine the idea of supporting the AFL and supporting all 18 teams equally. No. Could, you, could you imagine a situation where be done. Collingwood, I, I, was, Collingwood was playing Richmond and someone was saying, I just care for a good contest. I'm equally invested in both teams today? No, no I can't. And and I should point out too, I love team sports. They're, they are my thing. You throw a ball in there and I'm on. No, to me, sport is, is the last tribal thing we're allowed to do. So uh, my tribe plays your tribe. We go to the ground. We act like lunatics for two hours and we walk away. And it's a substitute for what in the past may have involved us killing each other and taking each other's women. Exactly. So, and, you, and you look back at like the War of the Roses. Surely no one turned up to the War of the Roses going, just want a good, clean fight from both sides. As long as everyone has a great time, it's right. going to be a great spectacle. Everything was on the line. Tracy, how can you... And at the end, we'll have a Gatorade shower. Exactly. I mean, you know, that's the way it works. How, how can you watch a grand final in a sporting code you, you, you love and not be invested in one team, well, or at the know, start of the season not have one team you hope to triumph? Adam... My husband and my kids ask me the same thing almost week in, week out, because at various times in whatever we're watching, I'm, I'm sort of cheering for both sides. And they're like, who are you going for? You cannot do this. Um, look, we've just had an incredible period in, in Australian sport, and, and this is completely off the field. And, and I love sport for as much as what happens off the field as on it, probably even more so off the field, because that is that is the bottom of the iceberg, isn't it? Hmm. You know, the tip is the game. It's the 80 minutes, the 90 minutes, it's the five-day test, whatever it happens to be. But the amount of work and, and, and the psychology and the commitment and the passion and the drama that happens ahead of that time is, for me, what makes it so fascinating. We've just seen the death of, of Les Murray, Mr. Football in mm-hmm. Australia. 24 hours after his funeral was the launch of a new book, which I think is just the most fabulous book on the history of soccer in this country. And you see people that have come from everywhere. You see refugees, you see, you know, third generation Aussies coming together because of that passion that you and Mick are talking about. And that is incredible. That You cannot replace that anywhere in the world with any other topic. Sport does that. Now, when you say anywhere else in the world, because some people say in Australia we are more of a sporting nation, we love sport more than some or most or any other country in the world, is it particularly the case here, Mick, or do you think it's a universal human value and there'd be just as many people in England saying we love sport or just as many people in Nepal saying... We love sport. Or is there something particularly Australian about our love for sport? I think we always hid behind that because we weren't known for much else on the world stage. Mm-hmm. You know, we yep. got engaged in a, in one or two wars, but beyond that, we didn't have any academic achievements. We weren't known for a lot. So sport became our, our ability to swim faster and to uh, do uh, surf culture and all that stuff became important to us. I think every country can lay a claim to that. What I find fascinating is why some countries are better at some sports. If you 
if you have a look at the English, they're so good at, at, at indoor sports. And so and I'm sure it's climactic. We, we can swim and surf and do all this stuff. They're great at billiards and darts <laughs> and stuff, which means it's, it's raining outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think you can go anywhere in the world and see – find a reason why people look at the Caribbean and uh, the, why they're so mm. brilliant at athletics. I've been there. I've seen it. There, there's no Institute of Sport in Jamaica. They're <laughs> lying around on beaches doing nothing and it looks like they're in the gym for nine hours a day. There's some genetic predisposition in that part of the world um, which makes them great at something specific. So yeah. when, when, you're, when you're lying on the beach and the bar is 100 metres away, you'd rather get there in 9.58 seconds <laughs> than 10.03 seconds. So there it is. But I think what Australians should probably be uh, refined it a bit, we're great at outdoor, at swimming, uh, at, at uh, playing with the ball, at, at surfing and all that stuff because our country is naturally uh, open to it. What is it? What is it? What is the love in sport generate in us, Tracy? Where does the love come from? Oh, I actually think slightly differently to Mick, and I think that there is, you can draw a very distinct line between how much money is invested in a particular sport in Mm -hmm. a particular country to measure its success. And and we, you know, are part of that as well. All of the money in uh, Jamaica goes to track and field, what what little money there is invested in sport. But they pick their sports and they say, we're going to succeed at this because we're not big enough or rich enough to succeed in a whole variety of others Mm -hmm. and that's where Australia for a long time like you look back through the history of the Olympic Games and you look at you know the glorious 1950s and 60s where Australia's uh, athletes were were dominating on the track Mm. and and a whole variety of sports but the climate has changed and I think our obsession with sport came from one of the things Mick said we weren't too good at anything else or we weren't recognized for much else but at the Olympics world stage here we were winning gold medals against all and sundry Uh, we're not doing that as often anymore, and I think our love of sport is fading in equal measure because I think our passion actually came from winning and from beating the world, not just from being there. They released recently, again in the AFL, the annual memberships, and uh, uh, some clubs have significantly larger memberships than they did last year. The biggest jump is the Western Bulldogs, who made the grand final last year and won it after years in the wilderness, massive jump in membership. Which Other is a th- great story too, by the way, because yeah. in, a, in a team, that, in, in a competition that's been regulated for so many years and had a rigged deck, a kind of socialism attached to it, as, as the AFL tries to architect who gets the next premiership, this was the classic story of a little club that wasn't part of the overall plan, who got across the line and subsequently it's become the most popular and brilliant uh, grand final of recent times. And can't uh, say I loved it all that much. Well, the last well, eight, because the last you're eight minutes exactly or so what I'm talking about. You'll 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 be in you'll be in the final series for the next twenty five years, partly due to your great organisation, and partly because the AFL have said so. Oh, so, we'll, we'll we'll get to that can of worms. Make soon, no mistake. That's worry, politics. That's a whole new chapter. <laughs> but it did, so, but I, I, what is it we love? Because I, 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 there is that sort of fairy tale aspect with the Bulldogs. I found myself the other night when Sally Pearson won her hurdles at the World Championship after it looked like her career was probably over and it had an incredible high at the Olympics, but then fallen away to disappointment. I, I, I found myself as that 11 seconds played out on the screen in my two, just punching the air and walking around like I'd yeah. done it myself. I just had this joy <laughs> yes. pumping. I, I, I genuinely, for a couple of seconds, 
I was Sally Pierce, and, I, and in slow motion, I was, and she was crossing the line, and she was mouthing, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And I was, and I, I've, I, I think I've met her. I actually have met her once for about thirty seconds. So I don't know Sally Pearson. I'm no big fan of hers. I couldn't mm. name another person in that race. But mm. for thirty seconds, there, my body was bristling, and Agreed. I was punching the air. I felt the same way when Black Caviar won at Ascot. You know what I mean? And I, why am I staying up at two in the morning and I'm in my gym jams and why do I care so much about this? And uh, it's hard to describe. But do you remember her first when she was uh, – Sally won her first race and she was 16 or 17 or something and it was the, the greatest boging we all at the time couldn't believe her response. <laughs> and it wasn't that much different to the one you've just described at the tail end of her career. We love it because, just like you said, Adam, you know the story, you know the hardship, you know the struggles, and she's come back, and we know how hard it is to come back after a period of time when the rest of the field has overtaken you, you've been left behind, you've got injury, you're getting older, you know, is, is your support waning? We know those struggles, we know that story, but I think we would care equally as much if we knew some of those other hardship stories of some of the other athletes mm. from the other countries. And and I think one of the things that really disappoints me about um, sports coverage here in Australia is that we only get the Aussie stories. Mm -hmm. There are so many fantastic stories that just make your heart bleed, you know, and they make you want to support that person when they line up, whether they're from, you know, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan or wherever. It's the stories that make it real for us. And is part of it yep. also, Mick, just that, that, that the, the, the great unknown that when, when that gun goes, you just don't know who's going to win. You can go and watch Hamlet performed by the greatest Shakespearean company in the world, you have a rough idea how it's going to end. <laughs> it's not going to be great for some of them. and no, some other right. Some of them are going to come and talk. You just don't know what the bounce of the ball or the firing of the Correct. gun or the blowing of the whistle, where the next couple of minutes, let alone the entire contest, is going to go. Is that what it's about, Mick? I think so. And you also understand, if you know much about sport, the amount of energy, the amount of time, the childhood dreams involved, what it means to so many people associated with that athlete who've made so many sacrifices. So it all comes down to this one moment, which you said is, is rightly in the lap of the sporting gods. So yes, there's always an element of heart in mouth. You, you've, uh, I find sometimes with my football team, there's points when I cannot watch anymore, hmm. where I'll actually leave or go downstairs and uh, walk around the car park or do whatever I have to do because I go, right now, I cannot cope. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, with we'll, this. We'll, in a few minutes, we'll be having a case study of Mick Malloy and the Richmond <laughs> sure. Tigers, and the sure. the phrase "long suffering <laughs> Richmond fan" will be used. But before a couple of other generic questions before we get there, mm. can can the two of you understand, uh, accept, relate to people who have just no interest in sport whatsoever, Tracy? Look, uh, that's their prerogative and their choice. I do find it hard to believe though. Really? I do. I find it very hard to believe, especially in a country like Australia, where it's just everywhere and it's in every media, it's in every, you know, website, newspaper, whatever you turn on, coverage on TV, it's in the news, it's not just something parked on the side. And I tend to think that 
that some of those people might have had, you know, traumatic experiences at school. <laughs> they were the kid that was never picked, left last, and then, you know, Team B had to go, oh, well, I guess we have to take <laughs> Person X. Yeah. And and those stories are sad. In in that regard, I understand it. But But for someone just to say, no, I've got absolutely no interest, and the number of people that actually tell me that, where I work, mm. they go, I don't know anything about sport. It's like, well, well, I'm sorry, there is no excuse for being ignorant of sport in a country like this. I mean, That's talking- like saying I know nothing about politics. On on the front page of today's uh, um, um, media dynamic, there was uh, Shane Warne, who used to be exceptionally good at what he did, but has not played his sport for a long time. The lead story was, looks like Shane Warne has put on a bit of weight. If, if we're in a country where we're leading the news with a once great <laughs> athlete's now got a bit tubby... Yeah. Is is Tracy right in saying not 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 following sport is like not following politics? There'd be some people saying, no, that's that you're being indulgent there. You know, politics is far more important. I agree with Tracy's thesis there that I think a lot of these uh, lines are formed when we're young. I, to me, anyone who says they don't follow sport or don't enjoy sport uh, misunderstand what sport is and the epic nature of all the themes involved in sport. I know a lot of people who don't like literature because they were forced to read books at school, and it doesn't matter what you do, Shakespeare is lost to them because it just takes them to a place and a time that they will no longer engage. But if you truly enjoy sport and engage it, all the epic themes <laughs> of of any period in our history are fully engaged. So I think it's more of a, yes, a probably a bad experience or, or the idea that you had to choose. I think there was, when I was young, there was a, a do you like sport or do you like the theatre, or do you like this or do you like that? There was this idea that you couldn't service both masters. So um, I think I find it very sad, and I I contest the idea because I'm sure that the drama involved in most great sporting stories, I would suggest, could win anyone over if they gave it the opportunity. So true. And and all of those people that say, yeah, I've got no idea, I don't follow, you know, um, can tell you where they were. At those great moments when, <laughs> when right. Australia yeah. won gold in yeah. some unexpected event. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't like politics, but I remember when JFK got shot. <laughs> it, it's interesting that when, when you find that situation and when, when you talk about, you know, your passion and people not understanding it, try being a public mathematician. But uh, <laughs> when, when, when the, the great, See, maths was lost to me at an early <laughs> age, I'm afraid. <laughs> the, the great intersection of sport and politics I love in this country is y- y- we almost could not imagine having a Prime Minister who didn't at least pretend to love sport. And for every John Howard who, who who genuinely thought captain of the Australian men's cricket team is probably the second most important job in the country just behind Prime Minister. And for every Bob Hawke saying anyone who sacks someone for staying up and watching the America's <laughs> Cup tonight is a bum as he sat fairly drunk in a bar in Fremantle. For every one of those, you've got. Remember when Paul Keating came out and tried to pretend oh, that for life he was a Collingwood supporter. He'd been a lifelong <laughs> Collingwood fan, and one he clearly wasn't. And two, if you're going to pick a team, why would you pick a team that is loved but also the most hated team? <laughs> Polarizing is the word. It, I think mu- it, well, I think that was a perfect team for Paul Keating. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it must be a tough gig because if you were a politician and you really didn't care about sport, are you forced yeah. to lie about that in Australia? I think you're silly if you do because the IQ of the Australian public goes up about 50 points, I reckon, when sport and politicians are involved. If you've ever seen Tony Abbott try and bounce a football in, the, in, a, in a change room, the jig's up. It doesn't matter. 
It or doesn't matter what you said or what you've done. Team and, <laughs> and, and, and call the captain Mike. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So there are uh, – I think that's too dangerous a game. I think you need to uh, just come out. I also like, the you know, when they appear in public, I think there was some round booing of, of John Howard at a – uh, at an international soccer game once, and mm. it, it, it's an opportunity for the public to, uh, well, for the, to get immediate feedback from the electorate as, as soon as you involve yourself in a sporting contest. It's a dangerous pursuit for politicians. There was that famous moment at a Queensland rugby league game when the then Prime Minister Gough Whitlam walked out with Ron McAuliffe from the Queensland rugby league, yes. and they were walking on the field and they announced and Ron McAuliffe joined by Prime Minister Gough Whitlam and the crowd let out this gigantic hail of boos and Gough just turns to Ron and says, Mmm, Ron, you're not very popular up here, are you? <laughs> so let's, let's do this now, Mick. This is the case right. that I want to get into. Mick Malloy sure. and the Richmond Tigers. Now, for people who aren't uh, AFL aficionados, Richmond Tigers formed in 1885, one of the foundation clubs, the backbone of the now AFL. Ten premierships from 1908 until... 1980, which, if you're yes. doing the maths, is about 37 years ago. When did the love start for you, Mick? So my father was in the Air Force, and he we used to get posted all around Australia. And so when we got to Melbourne, I, I was in grade five. Now, normally, when it comes to AFL teams, like most team sports, you barrack for the team your father yep. uh, barracked for. In my case, he, Dad never had an AFL team. So I went to Mount Eliza Primary School. I walked in on the first day, and I sat next to a kid called Darren Chow, and Darren Chow barracked for Richmond. So this was the most obvious choice to make. I barracked for Richmond. Believe it or not, me and Darren Chow, this is over 40 years ago, still go to the football every week. And as we leave the ground, I usually turn to him and go, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. I could have sat next to Jim Smith. He barracked for Hawthorne. I would have seen 10 by now. And then we walk from the G in silence. So that was the start of my love affair with the, the Richmond Football Club. And as I said, you know, and that's again coming down to the importance of sport. Even, even as a way for me, meeting mates, who was, was, that was the, the, the first. You barrack for Richmond and that's, that was your way in and kicking a footy. At lunchtime, um, that was it. My first, my first football club. I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah. My first footy club was Mount Eliza, and I, 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 that was how I met all my friends. I went down there. It's how I learned in the absence of a strong father figure who was away a lot. My, mm. He was I said, in the air force. I learned so many of my values, so uh, so so much about how to behave from the Mount Eliza Football Club. It became a really galvanising experience to be part of that that group. Yeah, you're talking values like sometimes that, you know, the, the performance of a team is more important than you putting yourself forward to totally right. glory, that sort of stuff. If you've, you're totally right. And if you get ahead of yourself or you're a bit squeaky, there's nothing like a bunch of bunch of boys to sort you out very quickly and let you know. So I know a lot of these clubs sometimes have bad – we think of the bad things about men in groups. But for me, my experience with sport, uh, there were so many good lessons uh, to come to come out of that. Um, anyway, so so there was that, and then 1980. So I didn't realise the significance of 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 what a flag was at that stage. So I remember mm. watching the 1980 grand final in the Bayside Shopping Centre in a department store that was selling TVs. So I was actually watching that on 20 <laughs> TVs. Oh, surround sound, big screens from <laughs> everywhere. Uh, I know. So, but I at that stage, Richmond was such a big club. There was no danger that that would be the last one you may see in this mm. lifetime. So after that was 82, 
And uh, I'll tell you, my story of 82 is when we were supposed to win and lost to Carlton. Mm. I'll, t- I'll tell you the backstory because I, this was, I had the, my very first serious girlfriend, uh, the first girl I'd ever fallen in love with, we were in year nine, I think it was at the time, mm. um, and a girl called Libby, and I loved this girl so much, and anyway, she got me a ticket to the Richmond Carlton grand final and just when i thought i couldn't love this girl anymore that this came up and i went oh wow this is fantastic anyway on the day of the grand final there was a knock on my door and i opened the door and there's this beautiful little girl bawling her eyes out and i said libby what's wrong she goes i've just been diagnosed as diabetic and i have to go straight to frankston hospital and i said so you won't be needing your ticket (laughs) 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 and and we haven't won a thing since. So I, I feel... Was that the moment that upset the cosmic balance? I think the, co- the football gods frowned you got upon... A bit ahead of, you got a bit ahead of yourself. You put yourself in front of the team. I put myself in front of the team. There is a curse there that I'm convinced that won't be lifted until I somehow atone for those sins of the past. But yes, what, is, what has transpired has been a lifelong love affair with the team. I, I've said this before, I love my life. I love my family. I love my friends. I love my job. I'm I'm reasonably good at it. I get well paid for it. My life is great, apart from that football club, which has just about ruined everything. Because for people <laughs> who don't understand that, you don't just say Richmond fan. The phrase is long-suffering Richmond fan. It's an entire clause that has to be used together. Well, long-suffering the- is almost redundant to me. It's, 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 it's contained within the notion of the Richmond football. And just to let you say, you know, I have bought three houses in my lifetime and all of them have been walking distance to the G. <laughs> I, if I'm not walking distance to the G, now the, and, the, and the MCG to me is, a, is an outdoor cathedral. It mm. is to me the centre of our, the cultural experience of living in Melbourne. It's, it's the heartbeat of the, I've had some of the greatest experiences of my life in that, in that beautiful, in the beautiful verdant green of the MCG. Can I tell you a quick story? This was my, yes. before I had... Before, this is the obsessive sports uh, fan, the it. nut. I get the impression Mick's got a few stories. We're going to hear all of them. Fire away, my so friend. So this is my, this before I had, I had children of, of my own, I have two twin boys now, Fred and Lenny, who are both signed up as Richmond Football Club members. Of course. And it is in my will that they get nothing unless they are signed up members. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's there. It's the only thing I'll ever allow ask them to do, and it's the only time I'll ever make them dress together in the same costume as twin boys, but they will do it. But anyway, before I, I had boys of my own, my sister had a little boy called Ollie, and Ollie, I was worried at this stage because there were no kids because we weren't very successful. There, were, there weren't a lot of young Richmond members. So I signed him up as a Richmond member, and uh, when he got old enough, which is about four, I asked my sister if I could take him. <laughs> to his very first game of football, which is a very significant moment for a father and a son or even a father mm. and a daughter or a mother and a – to me, as a, as a father and a young boy, it was it was a very important moment. So mm-hmm. she agreed, and I'll never forget this day. So I remember we caught the train in to the MCG on the train. It was a Saturday afternoon. The sun was out. Uh, MCG looked like this outdoor cathedral. Melbourne were playing Richmond. Mm. Richmond won by three goals. At the end of the game, I had this little boy on my shoulders. We were singing the club theme song. His eyes were bugging out of his head. It was like a sensory Mm. overload with all the sound and the the noise. 
Anyway, we catch a train back to my sister's house, and as we walk in the door, we go to the lounge room. He starts watching a replay of the exact game we've just been watching, and my sister grabs me and goes, "So how was how was it?" I said, "Good." She goes, uh, "Anything happened?" I go, "No." She goes, "Did you do anything?" I go, "No, it was all good." And at that point, from just in front of the telly, all you hear is, "Oh, you fucking white maggot!" Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, all I said was, look, we're obviously we're in a very bad part of the world. <laughs> but I thought the initiation of a young Richmond fan has begun. He was now part of the tribe. He was now part of the tribe. He'd been indoctrinated in a, in a moving experience. So, Can I ask you, Mick, a, a, friends of mine uh, run a, an AFL podcast called Two Guys, One Cup. Yep. And uh, they, they examine the um, Will Anderson and Charlie Clawson, oh, examine the ins and outs of the AFL each Ooh. week. And uh, to try and capture that potential of the Richmond club to disappoint, to sometimes be a long way in front and lose an individual game or to really kick home in a season then lose five games in a row to miss the finals. Mm. They invented the word Richmondy. It's a sort of a, yeah. a magnitude of confusion and loss and pain that only the Richmond Football Club can wrought upon their fans. If, if I ask, and, and, and one of their fans sent in a list of his 25 most Richmondy moments in the last 25 years. He's whittled that down. I won't, get, <laughs> I won't get 25 from you, Mick, but can you give us, say, three moments that capture that essence of sure. being a long-suffering Richmond fan? Carmichael Hunt, um, I suppose, the goal uh, after the sign up there at Cairns, which was... This is, uh, this is a former rugby league player brought across to the code of AFL, <laughs> kicking his first ever goal in the game. At, a home, at our home game at Cairns. Our, to beat the, our, our spiritual to beat, home. Yeah, to beat you after the siren, I remember. <laughs> That's right. So, And I remember I was watching that game unfold at a pub called the All Nations in Richmond, in the heartland, full of Richmond fans. And it, we, I could see it unfolding. I just went, this is, I, could, I know how this pans out. And uh, as it happened, we've gone from this very joyous occasion in this packed bar uh, as the as the ball sailed through, uh, uh, so I went to stunned silence. So a, a room full of grown men standing there in silence, at which point the phone rang at the pub and uh, the guy, the, the barber went and answered it. And he goes, hang on a second, Mick, it's for you. <laughs> I go and answer it and it's my mate Limo going, laughing his head off. And I go, A, he knew I'd be there. B, just the sound of that one phone ringing <laughs> in silence. I knew straight away they're coming for me. This is <laughs> this is a big Richmond moment. Second one I would say would be the elimination final when we were five goals up against Carlton at halftime and mm. I was actually trying to book a ticket to Sydney for the following week because we were going to be playing uh, Swans in Sydney if we won that game. So I was trying to book a, a, a plane ticket and accommodation at half time only for Judd to come out and mow us down in an unlosable final. So that is a, a, a incredible. Yep. That was a mm. that was a quiet trip home. <laughs> um, and one of my favourites was I I'll never forget this. This was I think two thousand and ten, Richmond were we were eight rounds in, Richmond were no wins, eight losses, and I'm a bugger mm. this. I went across the road, Melbourne Storm were eight wins, no losses. And I went, yes, done. Bought a Melbourne Storm membership, went, yes, well played. <laughs> uh, later that week, Melbourne Storm was stripped of all their points in a salary cap. 
It is you. <laughs> the salary cap, the market is me. I'm now eight rounds in. I'm back for two members of two sides that have no wins between them. <laughs> Zip, we might be able to follow you. you. Does it, does, it, does it turn out that that, that ex-girlfriend of yours from Year yeah. 9, oh, had she just got on board the Storm bandwagon so you had to take know. them down as well? I don't know, but what are the chances of that happening? You do, you forgive, do you forgive them? Mick, is there, is there ever a point where you do wonder, could, could you ever consider changing Never, teams? Never, absolutely not. And also, too, I mean, you dwell on this, and, and it also means to me, if I ever say one, what it will mean something completely different to me. Hmm. than some of my friends have seen 10 uh, embarrassing for Hawthorne. It's just what it is. The uh, the flip side to Richmondy also is that the, our form, being the worst performed club of the AFL over the last 37 years, <laughs> means it would have broken most clubs and they would be dead and buried. And anyone hmm. who says, oh, look out, Richmond fans have come out of the woodwork, it's, bo- it's, it's bollocks. The Richmond fans have proved themselves to be the most resilient, the most loyal over many years. We're the biggest club in Melbourne right now. We have over 70,000 mem- uh, mm. members with no success. And the fact that I'm part of that group of people who still turn up, who still accept the vagaries, the weaknesses, the the disappointment, the, the everything that goes with it. The Richmondy. Well, <laughs> that, there's that. I feel that it is a good club to be part of. And you know what? Sometimes that's life. Okay, <laughs> and that's your cards one... and you've got to be involved. <laughs> I've got one more question for each of you then, Mick. Yes. As we approach the pointy end of the AFL season, Richmond's form this year is as good as it's been in mm. that 37-year period. And there are serious conversations happening. You could be right in the frame for a grand final spot. Does that... Is it is that just for you pure excitement and positive emotion, or is there a part of you terrified that there is more to lose this year? And if anything, you'd love it if they just scraped in eighth, won a final, then went out. Is there more on the line and potentially more pain, or are you just purely positive about this season? No, this with Richmond, you can always hope for the best, but you also know a truckload of manure heading to Punt Road is just one <laughs> terrible loss away. <laughs> The, the the spectrum between Richmond's best and worst is just extraordinary. I don't. If I could tell you, I would. I would do it. I'm I'm happy that we're going well. I think uh, it'll be great to make two finals. It'd be great to make the top four and win one. If we did that, I would be happy for this year. But you never know. You I'm never gonna, know. I'm going to paint a picture now for Tracy Holmes, who does not support individual teams but loves the story loves the fairy tale. We have two combatants here in this year's AFL competition. Richmond, we've heard why it's so special. Think for a moment about the Sydney Swans, who last year made the grand final, lost an incredibly close one. This year, they start the season 0-6. and six. So far into the wilderness, no teams ever look like even making the finals from there. An incredibly stirring comeback. Looks like they're going to make the finals. It's quite conceivable Tracy Holmes, that at three-quarter time on grand final day, it's the Tigers and the Swans locked at 68-all. Either of these teams winning is going to be a miraculous, incredible story. Richmond, 37 years in the wilderness vanquished. The Swans, the worst start ever to a season, showing that you as an individual or a team are never beaten if you believe in yourself. As someone who loves the story, Tracy. as someone who loves you, the journey, as someone Tracy. who loves the emotion, the at three-quarter time, Tracy. as they bounce heart. that ball 
which way does the little metronome you of your okay, desire okay, lean? Okay. First of all, can I phone Libby and see where she's going and who she's supporting? <laughs> Secondly, can we have a draw and a grand final recap? Never! Oh, never! <laughs> no, we come back and play again. Oh, we do the, the whole thing again. Oh, the thought of the way a, if if Richmond were contesting a grand final replay, that what that would do psychologically for a week to those seventy five thousand people. Even I don't know if I could inflict that upon you, Mick. No, I would probably I don't know have an out of body experience. Probably, <laughs> I'd probably go to live off berries for a week. I'd be running around the outback in a loincloth, just dealing with. <laughs> With what's going on? Come on, Tracy. You know it. It's it's the heart and soul. It's it's the rusted on. It's the old school versus the laboratory built, born to rule, totally, fly totally. by and night. Totally. Sydney Swans will get everything added to them on a planet. Totally. Not and and this is what sport to does to you, doesn't it? You know, you would like to see that, and yet when it's all boiled down, this is this is the tragic side of sport. Mm. So much of it does come down, as you would know, Adam, to the mathematics and what's on paper and in the minds of people, there are some teams that just can't remember how to win Mm. and that gives the advantage to the other side every time. Having said that, I always support the underdog. Come on, And in this instance, it would be with you, Mick. You're an honorary (laughs) fan and I tell you what, you and me will go and get our premiership tattoos together. Okay. That moment there was that moment there was the closest Mick Malloy's come into winning a premiership in 37 years. Thank you for giving that to him, Tracy Holmes and Mick. Lovely to speak with you on the big questions. On you guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's a curly one. Big questions. Since my chat with Tracy Holmes and Mick Malloy, Mick's beloved Tigers have stepped into very unfamiliar territory. They're through to the AFL Grand Final. Mick and the 70,000 of the Tiger Army are struggling to keep a lid on the emotion. Ha ha, don't we love our sport? My beloved Swans, they fell at the hurdle of Geelong. So to be honest, I don't really care about the rest of the AFL season. Good luck to everyone. So that's the first of our big questions. I hope you enjoyed us discussing why do we love sport. If you want to hear more big questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more big questions soon. Big questions. On the Podcast One network.